You are listening to the weekly message from Mount Helena Community Church. Celebration services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Gateway Center. Or join us live online at www.mounthelena.cc. A couple of things I want to talk about before I dive into the content of my message this morning. Uh, First of all, we have the Summit Conference uh, up and coming here in a few weeks at the end of the month down in Missoula. Uh, I don't know that we've really made it clear, but uh, that conference is going to be Friday and Saturday and Sunday morning, but we're going to be coming back to Helena Saturday night uh, in order to participate in the service here on Sunday. Obviously, we can't cancel a Sunday service for that. And so if you've been thinking about going and you're looking at that and kind of wondering what that looks like, we're just going to, uh, there's opportunity to just stay there uh, Friday night and come home Saturday night. But I want to encourage you to seriously consider attending. This is a network we've recently uh, linked arms with and have been working with globally and even locally. There's four other churches here in western Montana and Spokane uh, that we've uh, been relating to and I've been meeting with those guys every few months down in Missoula and And I'm just really excited about what's going on in regions beyond. So if you have an opportunity to attend that, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, Also, last week, we had our second link meeting after the service. It's where uh, we're letting people that are new, like Shereya said, or new-ish, that's a word now, um, to connect with. And I just want to thank those of you that helped uh, prepare food and served as table leaders in that I really appreciate it. I think it's the, the two we've had have been a great success, and we're going to continue to do that every month. If you have been considering inviting somebody you know to church, um, that's one major way to help them get connected is to attend a link meeting that's held every month uh, immediately after the service. And like Shereya said, if you're a guest with us, we're glad you joined us. We do have an information packet for you uh, with information out at the information desk. Information, information, information. There you go. But we're glad you joined us today. We've been talking about hashtag fail. Uh, Last week we heard from Kendrick Venar, who's a pastor in North Carolina, a friend of ours, and uh, really appreciated what he had to say. He took on the topic of why does God not seem fair? And uh, sometimes we're afraid to say that kind of thing, but he did a really good job of taking a look at that subject and giving us some good uh, information and encouragement with that. Previously, the week before, I had talked about uh, having a failure identity, and, and we overcome failure. It's important as we overcome failure. It's very important for us to understand what our identity in Christ is. And I'm going to wrap up the series this week. Of course, we're going to be discussing it next week in our coffee talk Sunday. Uh, one more thing I want to mention. Sorry, I'm full of information before I dive into this. But uh, I know some of you uh, haven't attended a coffee talk Sunday yet. I know some of you are newer, and that probably sounds incredibly intimidating. Uh, to go to a church service hoping to be completely anonymous and then get isolated into a small group. We do have a small group specifically designed next Sunday for people that have been only here for their first two or three weeks. And so we're not necessarily uh, putting you in a position where you really have to stretch out. I will be hosting a group for those of you that are super new. So just be encouraged with that. Uh, We really would love to have you participate in that. It's an interesting adventure and experiment that we've been on and I've really been pleased with the results that we've seen of that. Are you ready? Yeah. Are, you t- are you tired of talking about failure? No. <laughs> I mean, I kind, of ha- I kind of am because, I, you know, I'm preparing a couple of messages around the subject of failure and it just makes me think of failure. It makes me think of all the things that I've failed at in my life and it, it really can be something that is a, is a downer and uh, causes us to really uh, become inward focused and 
And I think the, the content, particularly what Kendrick brought last week, is just really encouraging us in the area of dealing with failure. And today what I want to do to wrap up the series is I want to talk about uh, getting back up. Getting back up from failure. What does it take for us to move on from the mistakes we make or the areas that we fall short in? I want to cover just a couple, uh, a couple of the things that we have already covered and reviewed just a little bit. If you were not here for either of these messages, I would encourage you to go to our website, to the messages, and listen to them. There's some great content there. But three of the main things that I shared two weeks ago in dealing with our identity is understanding that you are in Christ is a major component when it comes to overcoming failure. Second, that you're forgiven. And third, that your life matters. Your life matters. What you're doing on the earth matters. And so when we encounter failure, we need to keep going because it's important. Our lives matter. And then Kendrick, last week when he talked about why doesn't God seem fair, he talked about some of the circumstances. And four, he said, I, know three thing, I, three, I have three maybes and one thing for sure when it comes to understanding our circumstances and the things that have caused us to fail. He says, maybe you're, de- maybe you're a victim of a broken world. Sometimes things happen because we're part of a broken world. Maybe you brought it on yourself. Ah, that's painful, isn't it? We have very real consequences that we deal with for our failings and the mistakes that we make, and they may walk with us the rest of our lives, the consequences of our mistakes, and yet we're thankful that God forgives. Maybe God is doing something big. Maybe God's doing something big. But one thing for sure, He's doing something in your life. So in the middle of your failure and your struggles, God is doing something in your life. Sometimes we get the impression that He's uh, distant and disconnected. When I was very young, I went through a short season where I proclaimed I was agnostic. When I was in my late teens, that means that I believe that there is God, but I don't think He cares much for the affairs of men and doesn't interject Himself into their lives. I'm thankful I changed my mind about that. I'm not sure how much I had to do with that as much as He did, intervening in life. God is doing something in your life. Failure proof does not exist. Being failure-proof does not exist. There isn't anything that's failure-proof. We all experience failure in our lives. We all experience things that we fall short of. As I've been reflecting on some of my failures, I'm going to be a little extra transparent with you today. Sometimes I give you too much information. You know the kids say TMI, too much information. Okay, don't laugh. But I'm going to share too much information with you today. You're all excited now. I can see that. Uh, I've had business failures. I purchased a franchise, heating and air conditioning, and I set out on this adventure to build this big business that was going to support me in ministry, and I wouldn't necessarily have to rely on the church for income, and that was going to be my source of income so I could serve, and I would build something that would function even without me there. didn't happen. It failed. Lost the franchise and went back to working by myself, fixing furnaces. Failed in that department. Sometimes I've failed as a husband. Sometimes I've failed as a parent. Some things, sometimes things have come out of my mouth that I've regretted. Sometimes I've behaved badly with my family. I went to one year of college when I was a young and wild young fellow and they do not have a degree in beer drinking in college. (laughs) Needless to say, I failed. 
at college. Didn't do it very well. I failed as a leader many times. Made mistakes, made poor decisions, whether it be in business or in the church. It's okay. We all have lists we can make of the things that we failed at. Our theme scripture today is Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. Though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. The issue isn't the number of times. It's like, oh, I've fallen eight times, now I can't get up. <laughs> it's, it's a concept. Though they fall, they get up. And it doesn't matter how many times. It's kind of like when, Jesus, when they ask Jesus, how many times should I forgive my neighbor? Seven times? He said, uh, 70 times, seven times. Always. Who are the righteous? Who are the righteous? They're the people of faith. Our faith is what counts us as righteous. Jesus paid the price on the cross, and when we believe in the sacrifice that he made for us, it makes us righteous. It's not something that we could do on our own. But when we follow God, we have this as part of our DNA. We're of, of a We're a kind of people that even though we fall, we can get back up again. My question for you today is, are you getting back up again? Have you fallen and are you getting back up? James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Just stop and think about what this actually means. Consider it joy. When you encounter trials of many kinds. Okay, picture one of the trials that you've been dealing with. Picture one of the things that has been challenging you. Can you consider that joy? That you're dealing with that? Can you take the encouragement of the scripture and go, I'm going to change my mind about the thing that I'm experiencing right now. This failure that I'm enduring. Consider it joy. That's the encouragement of the scripture. Why, would I, why in the world would I consider it joy? What a silly thing to do. It's painful. How can I find joy in this? How can I find joy in this? Because you know. Do you? Do you know? Go ahead and put that back up there, would you, Carter? That the testing of your faith develops perseverance. When we endure trials, when we go through failures, it begins to develop perseverance in us. As we get back up over and over and over from the things in life that challenge us, it begins to develop a characteristic in us of perseverance. People that overcome. Allow perseverance to finish its work. It's at work in you. Allow it to finish its work. When we fall down, when we fail, when we stumble, and we don't get back up, we're not allowing the process of perseverance to continue. It just stagnates right there while we lie down in our failure. But the Scripture is encouraging us, allow perseverance to finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. There's... There's a nugget there of what it is to be mature. Sometimes when we evaluate our Christianity and our spiritual life, we ask ourselves, am I mature? Here's one aspect of it for you. Are you persevering? When life deals difficulty to you and you're, you're dealing with something that has failed in life, are you allowing perseverance to finish its work, leading you towards maturity? So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
John Maxwell, I'm sure most of you know, I quote him on a regular basis. He's a leadership development guy, he writes books and does speaking and all kinds of things in regards to leadership. And I think this was from his book, Failing Forward. When it comes right down to it, he said, I know of only one factor that separates those who consistently shine from those who don't. I know of only one factor that separates those who consistently shine from those who don't. The difference between average people and achieving people is their perception of is their perception of and response to failure. What separates the people that are succeeding and the people that are overcoming from the people that aren't? And from his point of view, here it is. It's their perception of their failure, what they think of it, what they, how they analyze it, how it reflects upon who they are, their perception of their failure, and then their response to the failure are the two things that really separate the people that are succeeding from the people who aren't. The people that are getting back up again are going on to overcoming. We've spent the last couple weeks really, in a way you could say that what we've been talking about is our perception of failure. How do we see failure? When we fail, does it adjust our identity? Do we allow it to become something of our nature? Am I just thumping bass out there out this microphone? Because I'm thumping up here. We've talked about the perception of who we are. Does our failure determine who we are? Do the labels we put on ourselves or on others because of the ways we failed shape our identity? What's your perception of your failure? How do you see it? How are you taking in about who you are? And we talked about our perception of who God is. Our perception of God, sometimes we run this risk of thinking he's not fair. It's not fair that this happened to me. It's not fair that bad things happen to good people. It's not fair. Therefore, God must not be fair. Our perception of who God is determines how we respond to failure. If we perceive God as the mean judge in the sky who's looking to make us fall on our face in order to humiliate us, the God that we could never be good enough for, our perception of God determines how we respond to failure. If we don't see God as a loving Father that we can go to when we fail, why would we get back up? Why would I want to go on when I'm, if I was trying to please someone who couldn't be pleased? My perception of God is a really big deal in how I respond to my failure. Biblical truth needs to be, the, the truths that we find in Scripture are our compass when it comes to dealing with our failure. Because I might look at a circumstance or something that's happened in my life and, and I might see it as something and say, this is whatever I perceive, however I analyze it. This, this is what this issue is. But then I look at the Scripture, I can say, this is who God is in my failure. But then I look at my compass and I look at what the scripture says and it stirs my faith about who I am and who God is and it adjusts my course a little bit to keep things on track. 
Because if I'm not using that compass of the scripture to guide me in the direction that I go, I'm subjecting myself to my own compass, my own perception, my own understanding of my failure. I've got to have the compass. I've got to pull it out and go, wait a minute, what is my direction in this failure? Who am I in this failure? Who is God in this failure? How am I going to overcome my issues and my circumstances? How do I deal with this situation? The scripture is the true compass. When we experience failure, the feelings that are associated with it are so real, so deep, so much a part of who we are that it's very hard to then change our mind according to the scripture. If you've spent 25 years thinking God doesn't love you, it is really hard to then take a look at the scripture and change your mind. But I want to encourage you today that this truth is more true than what you can see, touch, taste, or feel. It's more true. It will last. This won't last. This will last. This is true. The biblical truth needs to be our compass for navigating our failures. There's a Stanford professor and psychologist named Carol Dweck. And she wrote a book called Mindset. And she talks about two different types of people in the way that they respond to failure. You have people of a fixed mindset. So what does it mean to have a fixed mindset? This is really interesting, her analysis of this. People with a fixed mindset think everything is fixed. It doesn't change. I only have so much capacity for things. I've made up my mind that I can't go beyond. I have this much talent. I have this much spirituality. I I can't grow. I can't change. Now the problem with having a fixed mindset is that, that somebody corrects you or God corrects you, and you endure some circumstances, it reflects on who you are. I'm not capable of what you're trying to correct me towards. Got to think about that for a minute. So if I think that I can't play the guitar, or I can't be good at it, or I can only play so well, and Cy comes along and says, Man, stop thinking that way. You can play better than that. Let's teach you some things. Let's give you some lessons. But if I have a fixed mindset, I say, no, I can't go any further than this. That's not healthy thinking. But we do that with certain things in our lives. Ironically, music actually is one of those things for me. We didn't play instruments or things like that in our house, and we, you know, we kind of joke about what bad singers we all are, and we are. Not my house now, not with my wife and kids, but as I was growing up. But when I was, I don't know, 19 or 20, I bought a bass guitar from Jason Canney and I started teaching myself how to play. And I've developed a love for music I had no idea was within my grasp. I didn't, I confined myself on who I was. My identity was in a box. And when I realized something, I could grow beyond that. When we have a fixed mindset, And we're dealing with failure is very difficult because failure reflects something of you. I tried something and I don't have the capacity to do it. I'm a failure. But the opposite of a fixed mentality is a growth mentality. 
The idea that things can make me better, that I can grow. It's actually a biblical concept because we need to continue to be transformed. The scripture is full of of the idea that we transform, that we become more like Christ as time goes on, that we can go outside of the box of our understanding of who we are and grow into something more. And so when we're enduring failure or trials of all sorts of kinds, like the scripture says, we can persevere and become more. We can grow. I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but because I'm a basketball fan, Michael Jordan's always who comes to mind. 26 different times, this was made famous in a commercial he did, 26 different times at the last seconds of the game, they said, Michael, you're the man. Get him the ball, you're going to take the game-winning shot. And we always see the highlights of when Michael Jordan drained the game-winning shot, and it was amazing. But 26 different times during his career, he missed that shot. He took the game-winning shot, and he missed. And he said, that's why I succeed, because I still do it. He still did it. He still tried it. He failed many, many, many times. But then as we look at the span of his career, he was incredibly successful. But if he just focused in on those times he failed and didn't think he could grow beyond it, who would he have become? Thomas Edison. While I was doing research for this, I ended up on the Smithsonian's website. So if you're nerdy like me, and you go to the Smithsonian's website, prepare to get sucked in for a long time, okay? There's so many good articles in there. Anyway, there was an article in there about Thomas Edison, because I was, see this information all over the internet, but you want to verify that it's actually true. And uh, so I was reading an article about him, and uh, what I was amazed with is all of the inventions that Thomas Edison had something to do with. He might have failed in his process, but the technology that he developed went on to create things we enjoy today. I find it, uh, I find it just fascinating that we can record sound. And he was one of the breakthrough people on recording sound, taking sound waves and imprinting them on material and then playing that material back. He invented the phonograph. I'm glad we've moved on beyond the phonograph, but that is profound that you could take sound and put it on something and then play it back. But he invented all kinds of things that didn't work. Many before he had any success. He had a thing called an electric pen. And of course, they didn't have copy machines back in those days, but this is brilliant. He took an electric pen on a motor, and it, it basically poked little holes in paper. So someone that was writing would write with this electric pen, and it'd poke holes as they wrote, but then they could take ink. They could put it on a piece of paper. It was like a stencil. That's what it was. It was a stencil. They'd put it on a piece of paper, and they'd roll ink over it, and so they could reproduce the same thing over and over and over again without owning a printing press. Didn't work. People hated it. He was one time asked about all of his failures as an inventor. And he said this. Now apply this to your own thinking. Thomas Edison said, I have not failed 10,000 times. I've successfully found 10,000 ways that will not work. How many of you have found ways that don't work? Yes, we have. 
That's a growth mindset. I can go beyond where I am right now. I can gain and develop from here. I can grow. Responding to failure. The, the second part of what John Maxwell said, the difference in separating these people is how they perceive their failure and then how they respond to their failure. So what I, I want to focus on for the rest of the morning is how do you respond to your failure? I think we're familiar with um, many of those responses that are obvious, but think about this. Even if you choose not to respond, you've responded. If life knocks you on your backside and you're sitting there or you're laying there and if you make the decision to forget about it, not keep going, you've made the decision to lay there. So when you're dealing with a failure, you are making a decision no matter what way you go. Make a good decision when it comes to your failure. See, we make a mistake and we fail. and All of our personalities are different and we respond in different ways, but one of the key things about failure that I think happens is fear grows. Fear has the opportunity to grow when we fail. Have you ever failed in such a way that it was in front of other people and you were embarrassed? Never? I had a wardrobe malfunction in kindergarten. <laughs> we had a merry-go-round, and uh, I must have had some slacks on or something, and went off the backside of the merry-go-round, and I'm standing there in my blue and red underwear, and my pants are going around on the merry-go-round. Hashtag failure. You know how embarrassing that is to a kindergartner? I cried. My cousins teased me for years. My kids still love hearing that story. And I can laugh now, but I didn't laugh then. Because I was humiliated little five-year-old kid in front of a bunch of other people. I was humiliated. What grew in me that day? Fear. Fear of looking stupid. Fear of being teased. Fear of being rejected. Okay, let's take this up a few notches to our reality as an adult. If you fail in your business, what does that feel like? What do you have the potential to do? Be afraid. Be insecure. I thought I was smart enough. But I must not be. What do people think of me? Because I set out to do something and I failed. Is it reflecting my personality and who I am and how God sees me and how I'm going to respond in the future? We can let that happen. When we get fearful, we isolate. Think about, again, going back to being a child. When we Teased, when someone is teased frequently in school or they're, they're a target of being bullied for whatever reason, they begin to isolate. They begin to step back, and we do it as adults. We fa- All of us, we're weak. Whether it be big-time things like ultimate financial failure or just s- s- uh, small day-to-day things we struggle with. 
and we back up into our castle. We pull up the drawbridge. We build a little moat, put alligators in it. We don't want people getting close. We isolate when we're suffering from our failures because we fear. Of course, sometimes, and this is very true in the Christian world, sometimes we are under the impression that we can't be weak, that we can't make mistakes. And so we just start to put on a false identity in front of other people. So they perceive us as successful even if we're not. So they think we have it all together even when we don't. Ain't one of you in here that has it all together, me included. Then why should we put something false on? Why shouldn't we embrace what the scripture says when it says you're a body and you need to be together? We're designed for, for being collaborative in life. We're, de- we're designed to be in community. And when we withdraw from that community and we isolate and we put on something that's not us, we start to develop a false identity. How can we grow? How can we become greater and better people, better ambassadors for Christ, more accurate representatives of his grace and goodness on the earth when we're isolating ourselves and pretending that we're somebody we're not? Failure will do that to a person. It hurts. Thank God that he's given us community that can nurture us back to health or encourage us when we need it or be the guardrails in our life when we need accountability. God is a master designer. He's designed this thing masterfully. And with false identity, bitterness sets in. How many bitter people do you know when it comes to the church? When it comes to God and the kingdom that have grown bitter because of their experiences? It's it's tragic. But what, what can we do? We can help them change their perception of their failure, their perception of who they are, their perception of who God is. And they could move on to transformed lives. You guys, we have really good news. Do you understand the gospel and what good news it is that people can find restoration from their failure, that they can find transformed identity in Christ, and they can find family, a community of people that help them grow, help them overcome. When we fail, we need to get back up and not lay there, become isolated and bitter. Three things I want to cover uh, this morning when, we're, when you're considering how to overcome your failure. Now, we can talk about all the, the worldly concepts of um, practical things, and they're very valid. I think some of our stuff we'll do as our content tomorrow, or, I'm sorry, next Sunday, in our Coffee Talk Sunday, will have to do with practical things, but we're a church, so we're going to talk about some of the spiritual applications, some spiritual concepts to understand in overcoming our failure. First one is this, God forgives Boy, Jared, that's brilliant. <laughs> I, you know, sometimes the simplest things are the most powerful. And sometimes if we could just understand the simplest things, 
it would change the way we live. I, uh, I already uh, revealed that I'm a nerd, and I'm sure you already knew that. I like digging into certain things and understanding subjects. And man, when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to who God is, theology, there is so much you can dive into and understand, and we should. But where I get a little tense then is when you go back to the most simple concepts and realize that we don't really get it sometimes. I might, like Paul said, I might fathom all mysteries. I might understand the language of angels. If I don't have love, none of that matters. It ain't nothing. Sometimes I think that as, you know, we can, we can argue about end times theology, eschatology. We can argue about all kinds of things and be like, I'm right. I'm right about what I believe. And you should be persuaded of that. But at the end of the day, realize that we all just kind of struggle with even the simplest things. And that we aren't justified before God because of those things. Do we understand forgiveness? God forgives. Do you? God forgives. Do you? See, it's easy sometimes when you're visiting with somebody that's not very close to you. And you, sometimes it's really easy to have a lot of grace for the people furthest from you. But the closer the person gets in relationship with you, the less tolerance sometimes you have for those things because you've been walking with them a long time and you just kind of go, ugh, get it together. But guess who the closest person to you is? You. And oftentimes, we have the least amount of tolerance for ourselves. So when we have that fixed mindset and we make a mistake, we say things like this, I'm better than that. I can do better than that. I'm more than that. Don't misunderstand me. There's a partial truth in that. But understand this. That kind of self-sufficiency will lead to disaster. Because here's what happens. I'm going to do my best to explain this. In order for us to be forgiven, we have to receive something we cannot earn. And that is so hard. You ever have somebody come up and want to give you some money as a gift because they heard you're struggling? Anybody ever had that happen? Or someone wants to come help you with a project? You don't want to receive it. I mean, you do, but you don't. And your pride goes, no, I don't need your help. I can do this. We do that with God. I'm, God's saying, I'm offering you something freely. What does it take for you to go, okay, I'll take it? It takes you humbling yourself. You have to make yourself low. You have to realize you don't have to have what it takes. You have to submit. All the air goes out of the room when you use that word. You have to submit to God, to something he freely offers you. And you have to lay down your pride and go, okay, I'll take it. It's so hard. We actually 
sometimes think of that in a backwards way. When we take on that attitude of, I can do better, I can be more, not humbling ourselves to say, no, actually, I can't do better. (laughs) I need something else. I need someone more. I need something greater than me because I can't get past this myself. Takes an absolute humility. See, we mask it in this thing that, oh, I just have low self-esteem or I'm so humble I can't take the gift. No, that's, it's actually, that's worldly thinking, but the reality is that's one of the highest echelons of pride. It's pride. We're so proud that we're too proud to receive that which is freely given. Pride causes us to hang on to our guilt. Think about that. We're so proud. Oh, I'm such, I'm, 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 I'm. Me, 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 me. And God's going, humble yourself and receive from me. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. We talk about regret once in a while. I think many of us struggle with that. We think back on circumstances of our lives and we carry regret. Oh, if only I would have fill in the blank. I, I wasted time. I wasted money. I wasted opportunities. I shared that with you that one year at college. I wasted that year. That's how I feel about it. That's how my self-sufficient me sees it. Like, what a waste. I wouldn't go back and live those days for nothing. If only I could go back and fix it. We regret but what does this mean? Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. The context of this scripture is Paul had written a letter to the Corinthians rebuking them, basically, and he caused them a great amount of sorrow by his rebuke. But that sorrow caused them to repent. And so a worldly sorrow is, again, that, that idea that, oh, I could have done better, I'm ashamed, I'm sad. I'm, I'm offensive to myself. But when we recognize that God is a part of that equation and then we're sorrowful because of that, that leads us right to him. There's a difference. There's a difference between a godly sorrow and a worldly sorrow. When we incorporate our brokenness with God into the equation, it leads us to repentance, to changing, to going the other direction, to changing our mind, and it leaves no regret what would it be like if you lived without regret? Stop and think about that for a second. What would you feel like today if you could walk out of this room with no regret? Some of us are like, how could, you, how could I do that? I've got way too much baggage. How can I live without regret? It has to do with our perception of our failure. Anyway, I'll talk about that more in a minute. When we have that kind of self-sufficient, prideful thing about failure, like, I can fix this. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps, and I'm going to overcome this issue. What ends up happening is life is we go around the same mountain over and over and over and over again. 
until we humble ourselves and receive from God. When we beat ourselves up, and we wallow in our self-loathing, that makes a lot of you and very little of Jesus. When we wallow in our self-loathing, you hear what I'm saying? That makes a big deal of you and a really small deal of what Jesus did for you. Jesus paid the price for you not to stay there. But when we bask in it and we wallow in it and we sit there and soak it up and refuse to receive forgiveness and don't reach out in humility and take hold of what's given to us, we're making a really big deal about who we are. It's almost like saying, God, that's not enough for me. I have to do this. You understand what I'm saying? Think about it. James chapter 4, verse 6. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When we are in our failure, we need to understand that God forgives. Sometimes our failures, maybe they're not necessarily completely connected to forgiveness, but some, almost always it does have something to do with you. Even if you didn't hurt somebody else, something failed, and you've got to work something out internally. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We have to be humble. The skill of getting back up after a failure is rooted in finding forgiveness, in finding a grace to overcome those circumstances. Number two, God redeems if you're experiencing failure, here's something that, it, this is profound to me. I mean, this is so significant in my mind. God redeems. What does it mean to redeem? To regain possession of something in exchange for payment? To compensate for the faults or bad aspects of something? God makes it good again. God can redeem things that have been lost. God can take your failure and redeem it. God can take your circumstances and redeem it. He's the redeemer. We use that in context of salvation, that he takes our broken life and he gives us salvation. But we need to apply the same thinking to our circumstances. How about the book of Joel? Chapter 2, verse 25. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. How many of you have clung to that scripture sometimes? How many of you have never heard that scripture? Seriously, just be honest with me. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. Don't you have years that the locusts have eaten? Years of things that have been lost? Time that has gone by? Circumstances and opportunities? God is a God who redeems. You see, the story's not over. We can look at Thomas Edison's life and go, man, that guy was a success. But if you'd have stepped right into his world when he was in the middle of it, did it look that way? No. God redeems. Let's talk about Moses. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house. He was royalty. He was the adopted 
grandson, basically. And he grew up in Pharaoh's house, king of Egypt. Talking good lifestyle, good education, nice stuff. And then he killed a man. An Egyptian was beating one of the slaves. Moses killed him. And he had to flee. He was 40 years old. Now I want you to think about this. 40 years Moses lived that way. And then 40 years he lived in the wilderness as a shepherd. Now, if I were Moses, this is what it would look like. Leaning on my shepherd's staff. Man, I had it good back in the day. Ah, oh, the food and the education, and I blew it. I blew it. What do I do now? Bah. Get out of my way. This was this man's reality for 40 years. He was 80, 79, 80 years old when he encountered the burning bush. I know those of you that have drawn your theology from the cartoons, like the Prince of Egypt, think he was like 29. <laughs> it's not the case. He was 80 years old when this happened. Talk about the opportunity to live with regret. Talk about feeling like those were the years the locusts ate, man. Man, I had it good and I wasted it because I committed murder and I had to flee. God redeemed Moses' story, didn't he? He redeemed it. God doesn't waste things. We might look back and say, that was such a waste, but that waste shaped who you are today. That wasted year has given you a lot of perspective today. Not advocating going and being stupid for the sake of experience, but that is what happens. When I was, uh, I think I've shared this story publicly before, but, um, and most of you know, but when I was 17, I was a senior in high school. And uh, actually, 17, I was a junior in high school, and I got a girl pregnant. All the air just went out of the room. <laughs> Sinner. Yes. I had. This is TMI, okay? Brace yourself. I'd never been with a girl before. One time. And she got pregnant. I was a junior in high school. Do you, only if you've been through this can you really appreciate what that feels like. You single young moms, you guys that have been in those circumstances, you know what I'm talking about. It is awful. Because you are suddenly faced with growing up in a really big hurry. And you're not ready. And the fact is, most of us, including myself, it takes a little longer. I failed. I'd, in my mind at the time, I had really messed up my destiny. Really messed up my future. Messed up other people's lives. Messed up her life. Messed up my life. Disappointed my parents. It's probably not fair that I tell this either, but I told my parents on the 4th of July that summer that they were going to be grandparents. And what prompted the conversation was, <clears throat> my mom said, we had company over or something, she said, 
yeah, I made my mom a grandma when she was 38. You kids better not do that to me. <laughs> I said, Mom, we got to talk. <laughs> you know, tell Kylie today that that was a failure. Got a 20 year old daughter sitting right here. You can't tell me that God doesn't redeem. You can't tell me that all this stuff is just an accident. I don't believe it. He works all things according to the good of those. He works all things for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He redeems your story, your past. We all have so many stories of things we, do, we just think, maybe God just buried it in a closet somewhere. I'm so glad he forgave me. But it's actually so much more than that. He's redeeming it. He causes you to grow and to become more because of our failure if we embrace the forgiveness and we embrace him as the redeemer and we keep going. When you're reading a book and you're halfway through the book and there's all the tensions of the book and you can't imagine what the end of the book must be like, but there is an end of the book. There will be an end result to the story. And your life is like that. You might be in the middle of something going, this could never be resolved. How could this ever be made right? How could this ever be redeemed? You serve a powerful God, and he redeems. I think the Old Testament's that way. Those of you who are familiar with the scripture and you understand the Old Testament, the creation, uh, the promises to Abraham, the introduction of the law, the kings, the temple, the, fa- the exiles and all those things. If you'd have been living in the middle of that, you wouldn't have understood it all. But we now can look back at the whole package, creation to Jesus Christ, and we can understand what God did. But you couldn't understand it if you were right in the middle of it. We're right in the middle of it, of our own story of the, body, the story of the body of Christ today, the story of you as an individual today, the story of your family, you're right in the middle of it. God can redeem the failures. He redeems. God finishes. God finishes. God does not sit up there in heaven. I know I've said this a hundred times from this pulpit. Wringing his hands going, oh shoot, they screwed up, I can't finish it. Because they screwed it up. No, that is not the God we serve. He's so much bigger than we can comprehend. He finishes what he starts. Philippians chapter one, verse six. Paul's saying this, Paul say, I, Paul, basically, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus of Christ Jesus. He will carry on the work. When you're knocked flat from failure, get up 
and let him carry you on in the work. Who carries it on? Who's carrying it on to completion? He is. Personalize that. Imagine if Paul sat down right next to you and said this to you, to your face, and said this. Shreya, he who began a good work and you will carry it on to completion. Yes. Put yourself in that situation. How encouraging this is. James, again, chapter one, verses two and four. Allow perseverance to finish its work. He's talking to you. He's encouraging you. Allow perseverance to finish the work in your life so that you may be mature, not lacking anything. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. He finished. That guy got knocked down a lot in a lot of different ways. He finished. Kept going. God's a finisher. Are you going to finish with him? I want to leave you with this final overarching thought from this series. Really, this is probably, in my mind, summarizes what I hope you get out of this last three weeks. Is that you cannot let your interpretation of your life put the label hashtag fail over you. Let's say it again. You cannot let your own interpretation of your life, in other words, don't let yourself interpret your own life in such a way that it's labeled failure. Because that's not what the scripture teaches and that's not what God wants for you. He's an overcomer and he causes us to be overcomers. For more information, visit our website at www.mounthelena.cc. Download our mobile app available in iTunes and Google Play. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Facebook.